Today is May 22nd, 2020, and this is InspectorCast. It's great to be back with another season of InspectorCast. Our first season was a while ago, and let's face it, things have been a little busy. The virus interfered with our schedule from the start, and now, several months down the line, we're still dealing with the virus and the destruction it brought to the world. While things are improving, the world has not seen something like this in almost a century. It's new just for about everybody that lives now. And sure, we've had recent pandemics and are still in some, such as HIV has been considered a global pandemic since the 80s. We've had influenza epidemics and pandemics, with the most recent being H1N1, you know, the bird flu in 2009 and 10. And you get a vaccination for that every flu season now, so it's not that big of a deal. The Spanish flu is the pandemic most mentioned recently, and that was back in 1918 and killed an estimated 15 million people. That's five zero million people globally within a little more than a year. Fortunately, the new coronavirus, it's called the SARS-CoV-19, COV-19, is not as bad as the Spanish flu, but is still more deadly than the average seasonal flu, and it can spread quickly, especially in populated, dense areas. The death rate is inexact as there are so many symptoms and some with no symptoms at all that could have been killed by COVID-19, which is the disease caused by the virus. I could go into the disease more, but I think by now everyone on the planet has been fully briefed on COVID and the need to take precautions to protect themselves and others. Instead, let's focus specifically on what we do, and that's insurance inspections. We're going to look at how the pandemic is impacting our inspection operations now and in the near future. We'll look to answer the questions, are insurance inspections really essential? What are the risks in doing them and how can those risks be reduced so inspections can proceed safely? Let's answer why do we need to do inspections during a pandemic question first. In order to answer that, we're going to examine this from a risk management perspective. And for that, I'm going to need to put things into context, especially for the people listening who are non-insurance people. There are different types of risk. But for our discussion, we'll focus on what we can call pure risk. Pure risk is the chance of something happening or not happening. It's on or off, yes or no, true or false. That means either something happens to you or it doesn't. There are several ways to deal with any kind of risk, much less pure risk. And first of it is avoiding it entirely. If you never skydive, you'll never run the risk of your parachute not opening. However, risk avoidance isn't always possible. We would all love to avoid being hit by a meteor, but there's really nothing we can personally do about it to reduce that risk. It either hits or it doesn't. We can hope that government has some means to reduce the risk of it ever happening, but it's really not up to us. The world right now is too interconnected to avoid all risk. Even the most rural counties in the country have been touched by this disease. There is risk reduction where you actually think of ways to reduce that risk and use those ways to make it happen. For instance, you want to drive, so you take driver's education. Your education and training should provide you with some additional skills, making you a better driver. That means you have reduced your overall risk of an accident. In fact, auto insurers give people credit for taking driver's courses like these because their data shows people with driver's ed are involved in fewer crashes. The lower the risk, the lower the cost of the insurance company through claims, which is in turn passed on to the insured in the form of lower premiums. Perhaps the most common way people in businesses handle risk is to get to someone else to take on the risk for them. This is true when a peril, hazard, risk, whatever you want to call it, peril, 
has a value which can be measured in money lost. This is called risk transfer, and people do it every day when they buy an insurance policy. The insurance company, in exchange for a premium, takes on the financial risk of an event, thereby relieving the insured of the potential losses from something happening. Since a pure risk is a loss or no loss, this kind of transfer can work. Now let's see what kind of, what kind of risks or hazards or perils are transferable with, with very, very traditional insurance. There's a few basic things that have to be present for a risk to be considered insurable. And I'm simplifying these things a lot, so please don't write me afterwards and say, hey, you missed all this. I, I just want to keep things simple. The first thing is, whatever happens has to be accidental. That means that the insurers themselves did not intentionally cause the loss. A person cannot set fire to their own business and then be paid for the loss, at least not legally since this is considered arson and insurance fraud. Someone else totally unrelated to the insured can burn that building down for whatever reason and that will be covered because there was no intent to do so from the insured themselves. A good example is a neighbor's negligence could start a fire in their own building which then spreads to the insured's building. Again, that would be a covered loss. Next, the event or peril causing the loss must be predictable and quantifiable. That means that actuaries will be able to calculate the probability and severity of a loss event. And from this, they can calculate the premiums needed to finance an insurance program which covers that sort of peril. The loss cannot be catastrophic, uh, at least not for traditional non-catastrophic insurance coverage. That means that the event must have happened at a certain point in time, is short-lasting with a predictable end. A fire will end when a building burns down, and while a few other buildings may burn, an entire region of the country won't. However, something that is hard to predict, or is even unknown to be a risk, and affects a large area of population is not something insurable with regular traditional insurance. This would include property damage from a war, civil unrest, and so forth. Viruses are not typically covered by property insurance policies. They don't fit the definition of an insurable risk, because we don't know when a pandemic might happen. In fact, the virus we're dealing with now has never existed in humans before. And it's in every country in the world. Property was not physically damaged, so many of the business interruption coverages are not going to be triggered. And further exclusions would cause government-ordered shutdowns also to not be covered. This is because it is hard to foresee such things and predict how long these things will last, and therefore we can't really measure it financially in advance and know how much it's going to cost to cover something like that. So now we understand what risk is and what risks are insurable in ordinary home and business policies. Now to address the idea that insurance inspections and insurance in general are essential in a pandemic, and we'll do that right after this message. These are frightening times for your insureds. They are understandably apprehensive about meeting new people in their homes or businesses, but you have to get the information necessary to be able to underwrite their insurance policies. Preferred Reports, one of the largest nationwide providers of insurance loss control surveys, has the answer. Get your inspections done ASAP, as safely as possible, using our revolutionary self-assessment for smartphone application. With it, your insureds can answer questions and provide photos and other documentation for your underwriting file. Using state-of-the-art validation technology, you can be sure the information you get is being received from your insureds. As a standalone or combined with a physical inspection, Preferred's ASAP app is your way to get critical information now. Contact Preferred Reports today at PreferredReports.com. That's PreferredReports.com. And ask about their new ASAP as safe as possible 
digital inspection product. Welcome back. We are discussing why insurance inspections are needed even during a pandemic like this one. We covered what risk is, how it can be handled, and what risk can be insured with conventional homeowners and business policies. Now, why are insurance inspections needed during a pandemic? Well, the easy answer is the clock never stops for risk. Just because we have a virus now does not eliminate other perils. It may reduce some loss exposure because people are driving less and less people are going to work, so there's lower workers' comp claims, but the threat still exists. This means insurance must be available and remain in force. Remember, an insurance policy is a contract that covers the insured for a period of time, typically a year, for their covered losses. This does not go away just because we have a pandemic. This is why insurance is considered an essential service and our inspectors are considered essential workers. Without access to insurance, businesses could not operate because they would expose themselves to serious losses, losses that would put them out of business that otherwise would have been covered. People can't buy houses, they can't finance cars since insurance is required for those transactions by the parties that are usually doing the financing. And for that matter, it's not even legal to drive a car without insurance in most states. When you go into your agent's office or go online to get a policy, you file an application. That application is reviewed by the agent or the agent's staff. They check the policy to make sure what you want to insure meets the underwriting rules for that type of insurance you want. They may check credit reports or ask for business references. They will look at prior losses and they will speak with you about your business. What do you do? How do you do it? What kind of safety precautions do you take? It all depends on the kind of insurance you want. Provided everything checks out, the agent can then issue what's called a binder, which provides coverage like a policy, but the company backing the policy now has the time to review the information and make a final decision to insure or not. This is the underwriting or policy discovery period, and it varies from state to state and can generally run between 30 and 90 days. This is needed because independent agents, while commissioned and empowered to issue binders, cannot completely commit an insurance company to a policy without the insurer making sure there are no obvious problems. A good example would be an insured saying that they want to insure their towing company and that they just have one tow truck, when in fact they have 10 tow trucks and the other nine will be running without insurance. This is an extreme example, but as you will see, without an inspection, the insurer would be on the hook for a far higher loss potential than originally thought. When a policy is sent to the insurer, an underwriter will view all the documents submitted with the policy application. They will make their own inquiries into whatever databases they have access to, credit bureau reports, insurance law systems, and they will mostly order a physical inspection of the property or business. Not every policy is inspected this way. It really depends on the guidelines by the insurer, but most with higher, higher potential for loss or higher premiums, usually they're one and the same thing, will. This means someone will come out to your home or place of business, interview you, walk around and take notes and photos, and submit a report back to the underwriter. This is the only part of the process where the underwriter has the chance to look at what's being insured. A lot of times these underwriters aren't even in the same city or same state. These physical inspections are critical to the underwriting process and are mandated for most risks by the carrier or the reinsurer, and in some cases these even mandated by state regulations. If things don't line up right between the policy information, the information found out by the underwriter, and the inspection, the insurance company can cancel the policy and the customer will have to find coverage elsewhere. 
If they don't cancel the policy in the time period allowed, the insurer must honor that policy until it renews, and then they can cancel it then, or non-renew it. If the insured is later found to have misrepresented themselves, the insurer may be relieved of covering any losses, but that will likely involve the expense of litigation, and they would prefer to avoid that by getting things handled at the start. Even with the pandemic and all the things suspended by governments, the policy discovery period can still run, meaning the insurance company is under the gun to get all their documentation to make a good coverage decision. Even if postponed or extended, the insurer is still covering the losses an insured may incur during this discovery period, so sooner is better when it comes to deciding to cancel a policy. Now, there are other ways to inspect, and Preferred Reports is one of the national leaders in innovative digital inspection products, but as we tell our clients, there is simply no substitute for physically visiting a risk during the discovery period, especially when dealing with a new policy or in a new company that has no claims history or payment history to go on. So yes, insurance is considered an essential service, so things like the shelter-in-place restrictions don't really apply. We need to get out and cautiously inspect properties and businesses as best we can in whatever conditions we can safely operate. Now let's look at the things inspectors and inspection companies can do to safely operate during a pandemic. Let me first say that our suggestions are not medical or legal advice. They are based on the current CDC guidance, which has been known to change, and we also don't have the ability in this particular media to teach you some of the things that we suggest. So there's all sorts of ways you can get this information that's available, and we'll go into that briefly. But just understand that, again, we're not medical professionals or legal professionals. We're just passing along the information that we've learned. Before you do anything, you might want to consult with an attorney or look up the CDC guidance yourself. So we need to get inspections done and we know there is a bad virus in the community. What kind of precautions can we take to make this all work? Inspectors need to take the time to familiarize themselves with the threats they face and the actions which minimize the risk to themselves and others. They need to have information to decide for themselves if they need to stay home or only do inspections which do not require contact, such as exterior inspections. Many resources are available online, including free training at the CDC site and the World Health Organization site. Inspection-specific training can be found with InterNACHI, I-N-T-E-R-N-A-C-H-I, the Home Inspectors Group, which created an excellent COVID uh, coronavirus training resource that they offer free on their website. Once the inspectors feel that they are informed and ready to face the threat, they need to do something very important, and that's check themselves first. What I mean is the first thing you as an inspector need to do is see if you're sick. Have you had any fever, chills, flu-style symptoms, sudden loss of taste or smell? And there's a bunch of other weird symptoms, too. It's all outlined, and it changes. Well, if you do, you could be infected and need to stay home and seek medical advice. You can get a test, and it's a lot easier now to get a test than it was when this whole thing started. If not, you're going to need to quarantine yourself and follow the CDC guidelines or your doctor's directions for when to go back out again. And this is important because right now, we're ending out the influenza season, but we're still in high allergy season in most parts of the country, and all of these symptoms are very similar to one another. So it's very difficult to determine whether or not you have the virus or if you just simply have sinusitis or seasonal allergies or whatever. And for people that commonly have that, it gets really difficult. Now, let's say you've gone ahead and done that check. You don't have symptoms or you've even had a test for the coronavirus. Another self-check you need to do is compare yourself to the people we know who don't do well when they catch COVID. 
If you're over 60 or medically compromised, and we'll explain that in a second, you could have a lot of issues if you catch this disease. People considered at high risk are the elderly, obese individuals with a BMI of greater than 40, diabetes, respiratory issues, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and you have an even higher risk if you have more than one of these things. And quite frankly, if you have one thing, such as obesity, likely you're going to have high blood pressure and high cholesterol and potentially diabetes type 2. So you have to be real careful. You have to know your own medical history. And remember, just because you haven't been diagnosed with these things doesn't mean you have don't have them and that would not affect you adversely if you get COVID. So you have to really know what your condition is. So if you have any of these things, you really need to weigh your risk as to whether or not it's important for you to go out. Now, another thing you can't overlook is your own family. You may be perfectly healthy and in good shape with none of the things I've mentioned, but if you have anyone at home that would fall into the high-risk category, you could potentially expose them, and this needs to be factored into. Once you pass this self-check, and it's one you should do before going out each day, by the way, you can proceed with the work at hand. You may have no-contact exterior work uh, if you're doing for instance, homeowners inspections where a lot of it is just taking pictures outside, the chance of you really coming across anybody is minimal, especially if you do it right and provided you're, you stay away from people, you're, you're doing pretty good. Your, your chances probably are much less than, than if you're going inside. But if you go inside, then we have some tips for you. The CDC has outlined in detail what should be done to avoid being infecting, uh, infected or infecting others. It comes down to a few critical things. First, the virus likes people. In fact, it needs people to live and make more viruses. It's spread from person to person through the transfer of respiratory droplets. That means someone close by sneezes while you're breathing in, and bam, you are infected, potentially. The more exposure you have at one time to the virus, the greater the chance some of the virus you inhale will survive long enough to infect your cells and start the replication process where more viruses are made. But unlike many colds, this virus can exist in people who are perfectly healthy and have no idea they have become a virus factory. That means you should assume everyone that you come in contact with is infected and act accordingly. In fact, when I was a paramedic, they told us that just assume everybody you come close to has every disease known possible and take precautions against that. Kind of a scary thought, but it's still good advice. As long as you act like someone has it, the chance of you contracting it will be minimal. The bug likes to be up close and personal, so you need to think about keeping a good distance from others. The CDC recommends 6 feet. There have been studies that have said as much as 10 feet. For inspections, if you have people showing you around, stay at least 6 feet apart and 6 feet away from workers, residents, or anyone else. Face masks are suggested, and in some states they're actually required. The mask is not there to prevent you from getting the virus is keeping you and others from spreading it. But you should not use the same mask all day long. Rather, it should be changed after each visit. If you can just take it off and throw it away, don't do it in the back of your car, or don't do it somewhere out in public where someone else might pick it up accidentally. It needs to be disposed of properly. And if, if you can reuse it after cleaning, it needs to be stored in a sealed container until you can get the mask clean. If you handle these things with your bare hands, you are potentially contaminated. I suggest you watch a video putting on and taking off gloves and face masks. If you, don't hap if you do happen to make a mistake with a mask or glove, not to worry. Remember the virus likes your lungs, so you need to make sure you keep your hands away from your face until you can wash them with soapy water or use a hand sanitizer with at least 60% alcohol. Don't get into your car with your gloves and mask. 
on and drive to the next place because now the virus has hitched a ride with you and you get to play ride share for the Rona, spreading it wherever you go. When you finish your day, you should clean down the surfaces of your car, things like steering wheel, gear shift, turn signal, radio, AC controls, the things that you commonly touch. You get the point. Use a decent cleaner, and since the virus does poorly in heat and direct sunlight, Mother Nature should kill any ride-along germs in the car when it's parked and closed up with no AC in the summer. That's not really a CDC recommendation, but research shows the virus dies quickly in heat and direct sunlight, which occurs in your parked car all the time. Now let's talk about the actual visit itself. Here are some precautions or pre-visit steps you can take. When you call for an appointment, ask if anyone at the location is sick or has been exposed to someone who had COVID. If they say yes, then just tell them fine. You'll check back with them in a few weeks and see how things are going to set up the appointment then. If not, then go ahead and set the appointment and tell them what precautions you will be taking while you're inside. Tell them to call if you if anyone is ill or exposed before the next appointment. That way you can reschedule the appointment and avoid any unnecessary contact. Keep your client updated so they know the progress is being made and that the delay is because of the precautions being taken. When you show up for your scheduled appointment, put on your mask beforehand, and if you wear gloves, those too. Don't shake hands and ask them one last time before you go inside, is anyone sick or been exposed? If the answer is still no, then proceed. I would suggest that you handle all the outside part of the inspection first, so that way when you're leaving the house, you can remove your gear and be done with it. It's better that things that are inside stay inside. Now, moving quickly through an inspection may seem like a really good thing, but speed can lead to mistakes like a torn glove, your face mask falling off, thereby exposing you to the virus. You don't want to rush and miss getting all the information you need. You may want to take more photos than usual and even use pictures for notes instead of carrying a bunch of stuff inside. If you end up missing things, you may need to set up another appointment and run the risk of exposure again. Don't have this happen. Once you complete your visit, thank the insured for letting you in, Walk outside the house or building and carefully remove your mask and gloves and wipe down your phone or camera or whatever else you went in with and then wash your hands with sand sanitizer as the last step. Remember, if anyone you visited is found to have been ill during your visit, you may be contacted by the health department and told to quarantine yourself. This is contact tracing. This time is different for essential workers and you should advise the person calling you that you're an essential worker so they can better inform you of the time needed to be cleared. It could be illegal to not follow a health department's orders, so be sure to seek advice from your doctor or health department professional if you think what you've been told was incorrect. So that's the steps you can take. Now, how long are we going to have to take them? Well, quite frankly, some of these things, perhaps not maybe the mask and gloves, but the idea of keeping away from people, if at all possible, without seeming unfriendly, may be something that you want to consider going forward as you're doing inspections, even after the pandemic is over. We're going to have to work in these conditions for some time at least until there's a vaccine, or until the thing goes away, which could potentially happen. It's happened with other pandemics where the the disease disappears. It burns itself out or it mutates into something that is no longer infected. But you can't be assured that that's going to happen. Now, we can't say shut up in our homes forever. Life needs to go on. And all politics aside, our economy was not built to be shut down for any length of time. Infections are something we deal with on a daily basis without even thinking about it. We inspect during flu season, we go into hospitals, nursing homes, assisted living homes all the time. But we can all use this as a reminder to take some of the basic precautions to protect ourselves and our families. As essential workers, we need to make sure we follow our local laws and regulations as well as CDC guidance to safely operate in a pandemic. If we all use some common sense and remember the basic prevention steps we discussed, we should all be fine and be able to conduct inspections as safely as possible. Now, how has this really 
impacted the insurance services business. I can speak from our point of view, which is we have preferred, did see a little decline in ordering initially, but that has since reversed itself. Now, we've monitored the situation in the field daily since the beginning, and we've strived to keep business as normal as much as possible because we know that's important to our clients. We've completed inspections in every state and continue to do so. Our belief is the insurance industry is strong and is a critical part of the nation's recovery from this pandemic, so we don't believe the future is as bleak as some of the media have been portraying. We don't believe in this idea of new normal. We simply look to keep things as normal and steady as possible by providing our clients with the best service and to inspect as safely as possible. Thank you for listening. Our next edition of Inspectacast will examine the impact of digital inspection products on the insurance inspections business. This pandemic has caused an acceleration in digital products like self-assessment applications that seem to be growing in popularity. Quite honestly, we thought they were still several years away before they would be accepted, but because of remote working and the fact that people don't want someone coming in their homes or or businesses, these self-assessment applications have caught on. Be sure to listen in when we cover what we think will happen as the very conservative and hard-to-change business of insurance makes a digital pivot and finally moves into the 21st century. Have a great weekend and enjoy your Memorial Day holiday. This is Inspectacast, sponsored by Preferred Reports. 